Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Becoming. Today we got a very special guest. This is Coach Brooks, and he's going to be talking to us today about his journey to becoming a basketball coach uh, and everything that went into it. So just first of all, I want to thank Coach Brooks for joining the podcast today, and uh, let's get right into it. So first question of the day is, what was the first moment that you thought that coaching would be something that you would be interested in? Okay, uh, the first moment that I thought coaching would be something that I'd be interested in was I had, I played basketball in El Salvador um, in, in 2014. And after my season, I was um, trying to prepare to go back. And I ended up like not getting a call back, not, um, not being not getting any like hit ups back to come back and play. So my coach from high school, he at the time he got the head coaching job and he was my coach in ninth grade. He was my ninth grade coach and then he moved up and became the varsity head coach. So the same year that he became the varsity head coach, he he questioned me and he asked me would I be ready to um would I want to coach with him. And that was at the time. It was something that I, I hadn't looked into. I, I wasn't thinking I was going to be interested in it. But then, meant as me and him continued to talk, I developed like a. I, I became more intrigued about it, and that's when I think that's when I really developed into like thinking I would want to be begin coaching. So. Okay, so you're talking to your head coach at the time, you know, to kind of see if this was something that you would be interested in did you think that you would be doing this long term or was it like I'm just going to try it out see if I like it and then if not I'll move on yeah um I really was trying to get back overseas so it was it was more like I'll try it for this year and see if I like it and then I can it just it just grow from there man like this is my seventh year I've been coaching so I think I developed the developed the love for the kids, just helping the kids in my community, and then I also started teaching at the time. So I got a job teaching and coaching at the same time. So those two kind of work hand in hand with each other. Were there any coaches that had a profound impact on you, and did you find that you were kind of implementing their style or their philosophies kind of into your own coaching style? Yeah, most definitely. Um, shout out to my coach from college, Coach Drew. He coaches for the um, Brooklyn Nets now. Um, he's like a skill oh, development okay. guy for them. And um, like just his work ethic, how hard he worked, he had a big impact on, on me. Like, because he used to just have me in the gym, waking me up and everything, getting me up, getting shots up, getting in the gym, just working while I was in college. And I went from... Like I had a rough senior year. Like I started out the, the year not getting playing time, and I started working with Coach Drew. And then, like after the like close to the end of the season, I was in the rotation, started a few games, and then just made my way to being like a solid role player for the team. Um, him and my coach from um, I would say my coach, my rec league coach, like. He was my first ever coach, but he was like my hardest coach I've ever had in my life. Like he he set the foundation. He um he was real disciplined, like really really disciplined. Like he made sure we did everything the right way. If we didn't, he'll make us do it until we did it the right way. He was stern with us. He made us mentally strong. So I would say Coach Kelly, that was my first ever coach. So those two. Uh, I saw some of your highlights from your college days. Oh, yeah, I appreciate uh, it. On your Twitter, it, it looked like you guys were playing on, like, an elementary school court. But Yeah, man, there was the work. Like, so it was D2. The school that I went to was D2. It was NYIT. And, like, we had the worst gym. Like, I, I was like, man, like, this is a D2 school. But we had, like, the worst gym. It looked like a boys and girls club gym. But um, I would say, like, it was a good, like, the floor was really, really bouncy though. So like, I really liked it. The floor that we played on and the rims, it just was the, like the crowd and that type of stuff. But like in, those, in that gym, like those, those games were like, 
it was like loud games when we played there because it's so small that everybody just like real compact. So it was kind of loud. Yeah, no, those are those are the funnest gyms to play in. The ones yeah. where it may not be a big gym, but there's a lot of people there and it's super loud. You can't even hear yourself think. Yeah. So yeah. So you go to college. Uh, I, did, I read an article that I found. Um, so you got to college. Um, you went to New York, New York. Yeah, New York okay. Institute of Technology. Yeah, New York Institute of Technology. And you got on there because they were looking for a glue guy, someone who could kind of play a role. And I just want you to talk about, you know, what a glue guy means to you. And, you know, was it hard kind of accepting that role? Yeah, Um. so, like, what a glue guy means to me is is a guy that can, like, come in. So when I got recruited there, it was crazy how I got recruited. I um I went to JUCO first in Nebraska at Southeast Community College, and there I was. I had like a role of being like a four man, where I would get all the offensive rebounds, I would attack the basket, and like just being like that type of person that just did all the dirty work on the team. And then my coach he recruited me to be that guy, and. What happened was, um, in the process of that, he he recruited me late. So like, I got a call from him um, in July. So after my season, I, I didn't know where I was going to go to school at. I had like an offer to a school in Iowa called Mount Mercy. Then I had a school. I had an offer to a school in Kansas, like Kansas Westland. And I got that that call in July, and he was like, he needs someone to come in and be a glue guy get a lot of putback dunks, offensive rebounds, be that type of guy. So without question, he asked me I want to come up for a visit. I told him, yeah, he was going to get me in for a visit. Then he called me back later that week and asked me did I want to sign without coming up for a visit. And I didn't want to be on the West Coast. I mean, I didn't want to be in the Midwest, so I just automatically signed. And um, I went in to be like that glue guy. So what a glue guy means to me is the guy who – does all the dirty work, keeps his teammates together, do the things that nobody else is willing to do. So, like, in the NBA, I would say, like, a perfect blue guy is Draymond. So, like, a guy kind of like Draymond. Yeah. Uh, as a coach, how do you get someone else to kind of be that glue guy? Because, you know, everybody wants to have the ball in their hands. They want to be the guy that's scoring. You know, they want to be, you know, the main option on offense. But... How do you get one of your players to accept a smaller role and be happy in that role? So um, this year was a perfect example of that. Um, we had we had a good season. We were like twenty one and seven, and we had a guy named Taylor Stevens who he wanted to be more of a guy of that guy. He wanted to be that guy on our team, but we already had like two guys that were already like that guy. But the thing about Taylor is he was a guy that could keep everything calm. He played point guard for us, so he was our he was he was really our sixth man and he closed the game for us. Like he didn't he didn't start any games for us, but he closed every game for us because he was the guy that could keep everything calm and he could hit open shots. So during the season, in the first beginning of the season, he didn't want to embrace that role. Like he he was kind of like reluctant to um, to take that type of role. He was like, I can do a lot more. Like, I really can do a lot more. And I had a conversation with him, and I was like, I said, man, you know what you need to do for us? I said, you need to be the guy who is calm, cool, and collective at all times. I said, you're going to close the game for us. I said, but we need you to keep everything calm and hit open threes. I said, every time you get an open three, don't even think about it, shoot it. Like, that's your role. And I told him that before we had this game that we got down by, like, I think we were down by 10. And he kind of embraced that role where he started hitting open shots. Well, he had he hit, like, six threes that game. And it was just all open threes. And I told him, I said, man, all you got to do is do your role, and we're going we gonna to have a good season. And he kind of embraced that role where he knew he wasn't going to start, 
but he knew he would come in and he'll go and hunt like open threes. Like he would hunt open threes every game. And he would be the he would be our primary ball handler in the closing moments of the game because he, he never got routed. He just kept his composure all the time. So I would say like keeping having those conversations with your player all the time. Like you gotta you gotta continue to have those conversations. And then their roles could change. Like he could start off as our role player glue guy and then he could grow in that role. Like he could that role could go to being, all right, now you're a starter. So it's just having those constant conversations with guys. Yeah, I love what you said there. Communication is really the biggest thing. And, you know, your role doesn't have to stay the role for the, for the entire season. Like you can start off, you know, just maybe like you were saying, come on, you know, control the ball, make good decisions, hit open shots. And then if you show that you can do that, then you can start to take on a bigger role. But I think a lot of guys, they try to overthink it. And they don't, they don't first look at how can I actually get on the court. And, you know, once you're on the court, then you can show the coaches that, you know, you, you belong out there and then you can start to take on some more responsibility. So just kind of going back to your, your journey a little bit, um, you know, you play professionally in El Salvador. Just want you to talk about that for a minute because, you know, I don't think anybody thinks of El Salvador as like, you know, a big time basketball country. But I kind of want to know what your experience was like playing there. Yeah, so the way I got to go down there was one of my teammates from college, He, um, his name was Ryan Williams, and his mom had like a, a guy that she worked with, and he was, um, he was from El Salvador. So he was, um, he was, he had like connections with the coach down in El Salvador, and he, play, he actually played for a team down there, and he was like retired, so he had, he had like retired and everything, but the coach told him he need like two American players. And my my boy from college, he was like, he he texted me one day and said, "Do you want to go play in El Salvador?" At the time, I was just working like working at um, Kia Motors and just working. And I would go work out every day, so like I would work third shift. So I would go in at like ten thirty, get off of work in the morning, go live. And then I would wake up and then I had a trainer at the time. And he would I would do training from like I would wake up like around two thirty and then I had like a training session from three thirty to five. So I would just be on court for that long and then I would go home, get a nap and then go back to work. So the way that I got once I got down there in El Salvador, I got there like on a he told me on a Monday. Um, I told the people at my job that I would be leaving um, that Tuesday, and then that Friday I got on the plane and landed that that afternoon. I got some sleep, and then the next day we had a game that morning. So I got straight off of the plane, took a nap, woke up pretty much, and had my first game. And it was a good experience, man. Like, I learned a lot there just being like, cause I was a role player in college and I had to go from being a role player to being like the guy where I'm taking anywhere from 15 to 20 shots a game. And I'm, I was used to taking like eight to 10. So it's like embracing that role of becoming the guy, like understanding that if you're, um, when you're that, when you're the guy, if everything goes right, your praise, but when stuff goes wrong, everything falls on you. And like that's a huge thing that I learned there. Um, it was a good experience. I averaged like fifteen point seven rebounds a game. Um, also, I got a chance to make the I made the all import team there. And what they did was they took like imports from every team and they formed one team. And we ended up playing against the El Salvadorian national team. Uh, we got to play against the Cuban national team and the Colombian national team. So we got a chance to play against all those guys. And we did like a big, it was like a big tournament, like a final four tournament type of deal. And then I would say like the culture there, like it's kind of like a, a third world country kind of. So it's like, like it was a real humbling experience for me. Like 
I got to just see. It was a lot of stuff I got to see. Just a real good experience, like, overall. Um, so was your coach, you know, El Sal was he speaking Spanish the whole yeah. time? Yeah. So about so that. how like, was that? <laughs> my coach, he um, he only spoke Spanish. So he didn't speak any English at all. So I would just have to, like, just pick up. Like, basketball is universal. Like, even though my coach only spoke Spanish, like, I still could pick up on the, the actions that he wanted us to run. I still could pick up on, like, he would just draw it up on the board, and then I would just pick up on it. And then, like, my teammates would communicate with me. Like, we had, like, a like a, a good communication, even though they most of them spoke Spanish. Some spoke English, so I could I would be like, yo, what did he just say? And he would, like, he would tell me. But, like, it was times where, it looked like my coach may have been mad or something. And I was like, yo, what's going on with him? What, what did he say? And what's he saying? They were like, no, nah, don't worry about it. Just go just go score. So I'm just like, man, like, all right. So he didn't speak any Spanish. I mean, he didn't speak any English at all. So it was kind of like me just out there just playing. Like, I got a chance to just play free. Like, not worrying about if the coach is mad or any of those things. So I think that really helped me out a lot, just not knowing what he was saying or or – or any of that stuff. And then I kind of, I picked up on some Spanish too. So I kind of could understand a little bit, but it was just like me just going out there playing off of instincts mostly. Yeah, that's nice to, to have a, you know, be in a, a situation where if your coach is mad at you, you don't even know what he's saying. So yeah. you don't really, you don't really take it personally. Um, so let's go back to, to your college days. Um, so you graduated from college and after college, you know, was there any thought of being a coach at all or were you just, you know, only focused on playing professionally? Yeah, so after college, I, I only was focused on playing professionally. I think like once, I think my coaching, like my mom, she always told me that she knew I would be a coach. And like, it's kind of crazy. One of my one of my teammates um, when I was in high school, he said, you're gonna be the guy that comes back and coaches with coaches with the coaching staff and I, I used to tell them like man you're crazy like I'm not coaching and I think it was just me understanding like God got a purpose for you and it may not be for you to play professionally it may be for you to be a coach and like coach someone to be a professional so that's one thing that I kind of embraced like after right after college it was like I'm working towards the pro thing, but after my pro career was over, that's when I really found my true like passion and purpose of coaching. Yeah, and how was that transition going from being a player to being a coach? And was there a moment that you realized like, man, I really don't know as much about basketball as I thought? Yeah, man. So my first year, we um, I had started coaching AAU like while I was like when I came back from El Salvador, I had coached AAU for like a year. And like then it was like, dang, man, like this is tough kind of. And I think once my first year, I coached with like one of my high school teammates. He went D2 as well. He went to Georgia College and State. Um, so me and him were, we coached the ninth grade team at my school now. And we just basically used like a um, like a four out type of deal where we did like driving kick motion, like that's that was our whole premise of coaching. But like I had to do a lot of like research on like defense and like offense and like a lot, man. It was it was like a lot of just researching and. I, at first, I was going off of what I learned in college, like, okay, we, we play in the gap in college and that type of stuff. But as time went on, I had to do my own research and, like, get my own identity. So I, I definitely learned a lot that I didn't know. And, like, it was, like, it was tough at first. Um, my, my second year coaching, I became the head middle school coach here at my in my hometown. So... Just getting, just getting thrown in the fire to being the head middle school coach was like a huge like part of my development because I I got to be the head guy. If something went wrong, like it was on me. 
if we did right, then it was on the kids did it. So it was it was like one of those type of deals. So I think like that helped me a whole lot in my coaching career, just having that experience of being the head guy. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned being a middle school coach starting out. So do you think it's it's more valuable, a more valuable experience to start off as a head coach, maybe at a lower level? rather than starting off as an assistant coach at a higher level? Um, I would say being a head coach at a lower level because it's like a lot of responsibility that you got to, like you got to actually be that guy who practice plans, who makes sure the guy's grades are right, um, who makes sure that, that your guys are in the gym and you got to be that guy who holds everybody accountable so it's like a lot more hats that you got to wear being that head coach. Like with the assistant coach, you can, you don't have as many hats. Like like when I first started coaching with the varsity, my only hat was to do skill development for the, for the varsity team. So all I was doing was basically working out our bigs. And I, that was my goal. That was my job, like primary job, just work out the bigs, make sure that they – were ready for game days and we already had another guy that would work with the guard so that was my only goal and then when I would get in the game it would be I would kind of like coach the bigs a lot more like they come they come out of the game they would usually come see me and then I'll tell them what I'm seeing and ask them what they're seeing and that type of deal but like the more and more I work the more and more my coach started to give me more hats so I started I became the head ninth grade coach then I became ninth grade and JV, and then I was doing like ninth grade JV and varsity all at the same time. So I would leave. We we combined the ninth grade and the JV practices together. So we would practice, and then I would leave their practice and go to the varsity practice and be an assistant coach there. So it was like I think it was just a lot. Just I would say I would definitely to recap. I would definitely say. Being a head coach at a lower level would be most best. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think you just get more, more practical experience being the head coach, you know, because everything's on you. You're yeah. responsible for everything. Whereas, you know, an assistant, you're just more kind of going off of what the head coach is doing. Yeah, um, sure. So when you're kind of figuring out who you are as a coach, establishing your philosophies, um, I, I think it might be a little bit easier if you didn't play maybe at the highest level because you can kind of figure out things on your own rather than just taking what you learned from maybe your college coach or your professional coach. You end up having to be more of yourself rather than taking on the qualities or characteristics of your coach. Would you agree with that or kind of give insight on that and what you, what you think about that? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think like with me having a college, like my college coach, we, we ran a lot of just high pick and roll stuff. So I had kind of developed the, the philosophy of just only running like high pick and roll. Like we're going to just run high pick and roll the whole game or we're going to just run. Um, like when I was in El Salvador, we had like an action where the point guard would pass it to the wing and then he would down screen for the four man. And then the foreman would come up and get get the ball, and like get the ball from the wing, and then the wing would down screen for the for the point guard, and he would come back up. So that was our primary action. So I tried to make our guys play in those two types of actions more, and I ended up just learning like you got to really run an action for your team, like like what you have, like the qualities of your team. Like so, my third year. Coaching, I had two solid bigs that were they were they were okay. Like they could operate from the high post real well, so they were good face up guys. So I, I changed the whole offense to like a UCLA action where we would throw it to the wing and the point guard would cut off of the high post, and then the high post would go. They could either the the guard who had it on the wing he, he could either throw it to the high post and come dribble handoff. Or he could call for a ball screen, or like he could throw it to the high post, and the high post would just operate out of the high post. So 
just based off of those two, like I had two real good high post players. So I just basically utilized like that UCLA set, horn set, like those type of sets for those guys. Then I had a, a team where I was just guard heavy. So I had to kind of do more of like a guard heavy type of offense, like where we would go more four out, one in, everybody moving, driving, kick, a lot of that action. So I think like I started to develop my own philosophy, the more and more I got away from being removed from playing professionally and in college. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, like you were saying, you got to get your best players involved. You got to get your best players the most amount of shots and put them in positions where they're comfortable and where they can, you know, re really make the most out of their skill set. Um, so now you're you're an assistant coach at the varsity level. And I just want you to talk about, you know, the times where you may have differences with the head coach in terms of, you know, style of play or, you know, certain actions that you're running or whatever it is. What are the ways that you kind of work out those disagreements that you may have with the head coach? Yeah, so with with the position I'm in now, um, me and the head coach, we, we kind of are two different type of minded coaches. So he's an offensive minded coach, like, so he wants to work on offense a whole lot. Like, and I'm defensive minded. Like, I want to make sure that defense is straight, like, on point all the time. So the way that we kind of communicate is we, we usually have, like, coaches meetings. And, like, we'll just talk after practice, like, all right, how practice has went. And so, like, I may bring it to, to his attention. I'm like, hey, coach, we worked on offense the whole, like, the whole practice, like, are we going to work on defense tomorrow? Like, we need to implement some defense. And we kind of have that communication in that meeting where I'm like, okay, we need to work on defense. We don't focus on offense enough. Like, we need to work on defense now. And we kind of come to an agreement like, okay, we're going to spend this amount of time on defense, this amount of time on offense. And it's kind of like us back and forth communication. With with me the head with me the head coach and the other assistants like we all like come together and we kind of practice playing together, so we may have like input, like I may have input and our other assistant may have input, and then the head coach has his input and then the other assistant coach has his input, so we all kind of work together to kind of get that good practice plan where we're not spending too much on. On offense, we're not spending too much on defense and where it's kind of like a balance. It's all about communication, like just having those coaches meeting where we're communicating. Yeah, communication and, and balance is super key, which leads me to my next question. Um, do you think a good assistant coach is somebody who brings a different perspective, um, different dynamic, or is would you rather be an assistant coach who is kind of like a carbon copy of the head coach and they do exactly everything that the coach does, you know, same temperament, same sort of personality, or do you think a better assistant coach is someone who, you know, brings on some of those opposite qualities that the head coach has? So um, when I was in middle school, like I, I had an assistant coach and he agreed with everything I said and I, I didn't like, I needed somebody who was going to be there to give me that different type of input. So I would say the opposite. Like I would, I would definitely think like if you're a head coach, you need someone to hold you accountable. You need somebody who's going to give you a different insight. You need someone who may see the game a little bit different from how you see it. That way, you you can grow as a coach. Like. I think when I was when I was coaching in middle school, like I loved I loved the coach that I coached with. Like that's one of my boys to this day, and um, he agreed with it with like mostly everything that I that I worked with. Like my my whole philosophy on skill development, like like everything. And I think with me the biggest thing was having someone who would be like, "Hey, um, this isn't working." Like, I suggest this. 
So me, I'm I'm an open-minded person. Like I'm not stubborn at all. I'm gonna listen, like, cause you clearly you're seeing the game as well. You're around the kids as well, so you may see something that I may just be looking over. So I think like having that opposite type of guy, the guy that's gonna kind of keep your kind of keep you honest, kind of keep open your eyes to new ideas. I think you need that type of guy as an assistant. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, if you have an assistant who just agrees with everything that you say, then he's pretty much useless. Um, you know, I definitely agree. You know, you need somebody who's going to sort of bring in a different dynamic and maybe point out some things that you're not able to see yourself. Um, so I want you to talk about a little bit about your, your player development philosophies and specifically what you look for in a kid that's not the most skilled, you know, maybe a kid who's starting to figure it out, maybe just started playing basketball recently. And how do you decide if that kid is worth taking a chance on or not? So recently, I would say like a year ago, my um, I had a kid who, his mom came to me and she was like, listen, my kid is not the best player and he's not like, like he hasn't played basketball. He's like, he's going to sixth grade. And she's like, I, he really wants to play. So at the time I was working at this place called Clockwork Training. And like I was doing skill development there. Like I would do like group training, one-on-ones, small group trainings. And she saw me there and I was just like working with kids. So. Um, with him, he w he was horrible when I, like when I first got him, he was horrible. Like he did a layup and it went over the backboard. Like the first when I first started working with him, so I think like with him, he was like he wasn't good. But the thing about him that made me keep working with him was he listened. Like he never gave me any like any pushback. Didn't think he knew everything. He listened like. Everything I said, he was a sponge. Like everything I told him, he would do it. And like he got better, like real quick. Like I could see, like I seen improvement. Like he went from shooting the ball over the backboard to making layups with his right and left hand to jump shot layups to being able to do like triple thread into a layup. And like we just kept building off of that. So like that goes into my like my skill development philosophy. I really work with character first. So like building your character because if you if you got like bad character, it's like two types of kids I'm not gonna work with. Like a kid who thinks he knows everything, like I'm I can't work with those type of kids because you're not gonna you're not gonna absorb the information that I'm giving you. And a kid who is like I would say who doesn't listen like has an attitude problem like those type of things like if you got an attitude problem and you don't listen like it's i'm not finna waste your parents money like you're just basically wasting your money so character first like just working with building that character and i've had guys who've been like not listening and it's it's taken me to like work on their character help build them up help teach them the right way. And that, that takes a lot of work, man. Like, it's a lot of work. So those type of guys, um, I, I kind of work with them, but it'll have to be like if they make the team. Like, they make like the JV or the ninth grade team, then I would do skill development with them and work on their character and just build them up. But if like, if it's me like working skill development for like clockwork, you got to kind of fit the mold. And um, so, Aside from character, I kind of start off with footwork. I, I work from the ground up. So we're going to work on jab steps, rip throughs, pivots. Like that's the, that's the foundation for me. Then we work, once we get the foundation down, then I go to shooting. So I'm, I'm a footwork shooting type of guy. And then I go to like ball handling. So I feel like if you can go triple threat, and you can get to a spot and get to a one one or two dribble pull up. Like you can add combos and you can add like step backs and those type of things after you get that foundation of footwork and 
after you get the foundation of shooting. Like, I want you to be able to shoot. I want you to have, like, sound, rip-throughs, pivots, and pull-ups. I want you to have all of those before we tackle the the drags and the, like, betweens and the combos and the hezzies. And before we add those in, I want to be able to have, like, that solid foundation because I feel like if you can shoot, you'll, you'll get on the court. And I feel like rip-throughs, pivots, jabs, and shots and layups, they all happen the most in basketball. Crossovers don't happen the most in basketball. You're going to do a jab set before you cross over in the game. So I feel like those things happen the most. So I try to train what happens the most and then build after that. Yeah, I love that, train what happens the most, because I think a lot of younger or maybe less experienced trainers, they go right to like combo moves or you know, one-on-one -on -one moves, and in, over the course of a game, those things just aren't going to happen that much. Like, it might happen once a game, if that. Like, and the reality is, you know, only one or two players are going to be allowed to even go one-on-one -on -one in the game. So, yeah, I definitely love what you said about, you know, footwork and shooting, because if you can make shots, you're going to get in the game. Absolutely. Um, I think ball handling is super important too for beginners because that's the easiest thing to teach. Yeah, it is. Like it's it's just easy for them to learn how to you know just dribble the ball without losing it. Um, shooting definitely takes more patience yeah. and more time. Actually, now will be the time that we transition into a segment that we like to play or a segment that we like to have on on this show. It's called Explain That Tweet. So. Okay. I'm gonna read back to you a couple of your tweets and <laughs> you just uh, give a little explanation. So the first one says, kids who are creating highlight tapes, make sure you can consistently do what you're showing in these highlights. Be consistent. So has there been a time where you seen a kid you know, put out a highlight tape and you know that that's not really who they are or maybe you tried to recruit a kid based off a highlight tape and then you got him in for a workout and then he wasn't able to do any of the things that he's showing on his highlights. Yeah, so with me, with that tweet, um, I've seen a lot of kids who, like, they kind of they kind of build up their highlight tape based off of stuff that they think that the coaches would want to see. and. I seen like a kid who I knew he wasn't like what he tweeted. I'm not going to mention the kid's name or anything, but I knew like the highlights that he was putting out, like that was like a, maybe you did that in, in five games out of the whole year. Like you got, you got like, we, you may have played against a team that wasn't as good. So yeah, you got like five dunks. But those teams weren't good. Like those weren't the challenging teams. And like you kinda you kinda trying to show the coach like, oh, I can do this, but that's not against like high competition. So I seen like a kid who he was posting like a highlight tape and not like I knew the teams that they were playing against. And it was like, yeah, anybody can get those against those teams. Like and it was like he was like just showing like, okay, I can do this, but he really couldn't. And then I had another, I seen another kid who he had him shooting three, like it was, it was showing him shooting threes and his coach didn't allow him to shoot threes. Like it was like he wasn't consistently hitting those shots. He may have had like five or six threes. Well, those were the only five, or six threes he hit the whole year. So it was like he was portraying like to be a shooter, but he really wasn't a shooter. Like those may have been his only five mates in the year. So. It was like more so like tackling those type of guys like like be what be the person that like if you're putting it in your highlights hey it's a highlight of what you can do consistently like i feel yeah. like that's what you need to be highlighting so i had a kid who i trained like man i actually just got through working with him and we had to go back and look at his highlight tape and because I've seen, I've been seeing him play recently and I'm like, dude, that's not your game. Like, that's why you're struggling so much because you're not sticking to your game. And like, 
me and him watched his highlight tape, and I'm like, look, dude, you consistently can score off of rip-throughs and jab steps. Like, you rip through and you get to the basket in two dribbles consistently. That's something you consistently do. Build your game off of that. Like, that's already your foundation. Then you can add, like, a counter. I said, but you're really good at attacking closeouts and getting to the basket. Like, so keep that as your primary game. And, like, me and him, like, that was, like, everything he did in his highlight tape, that was him consistently. Because me and him worked on his highlight tape, and I was like, it showed, like, over the course of a game. Like, so his three best things that he did was he was real good with dunks. Like, he he had probably over, I think he probably had over 30 dunks in the season. We only played 28 games. So he was getting, like, a dunk every game. And so that was the first thing on his highlights. Then it was his slashing ability. So he highlighted his dunks. He highlighted his slashing ability. And then he highlighted his finishing ability. And then he highlighted mid-range. So that was his whole game. And that was all of the things that he could do consistently. So I feel like that was like more so geared towards those type of guys who don't do the things consistently. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that I like now about like Baller's Life and some of these other YouTube channels that highlight you know high school players is that now they're showing more like full game film. Yeah. Whereas, you know, earlier in the days, like earlier in the mixtape days, it would just be like quick two minute highlights of nonstop dunks and crossovers and it was very deceiving for someone yeah. on my end. Like like Seventh Woods, you know, everybody remembers him in yeah. twenty fourteen, <laughs> I think it was. He was like a mixtape god. Like you would have thought he was the next Michael Jordan based off his, his hoop mixtape. And then, you know, his his career kind of fizzles out but I mean no no disrespect to Seventh Woods he's a he's a great player but um his highlights were were probably a little bit misleading and so now I think it's it's better for for other kids to see some of these top players and you know these guys with big followings they see their full game highlights so they can show that yeah these guys do miss shots they miss turnovers they get beat on defense things like that so yeah I think that's that's really cool overall um another tweet that you had this one says really make sure you can evaluate talent efficiently before you recommend these players to college coaches so just explain that one a little bit and then maybe talk about what are the most important aspects of evaluating talent okay yeah so that tweet it came after i um I went to, I actually went to a JUCO workout um, at, it was at Chattahoochee Valley Community College. And like the coach, the head coach there, he was a stern guy, man. Like, like real good guy, but he knew what he wanted. And a player, a player came in for a workout there and the player was, wasn't in shape, like, he wasn't in shape at all. He didn't have a high motor. He um he wasn't as skilled and he um he pretty much like wasn't the player that would fit their system and would fit his style, the coach's style of play. So it was a guy that had recommended the kid and it was like the coach was like like, man, like, this guy recommended this kid. He thought this kid could play at our level. And it was like, man, like, that kid couldn't play at their level at all. So the tweet came after that because it made me go to start thinking, like, do you really know what it's like to play at that level? Like, what is expected at that level? Whether it's the JUCO level, the D1 level, the D2 level. Like, I played D2, so I know what is expected at that level. Um, I got a couple of buddies who played D1, so they know what is expected at that level. I got a, um, like, recently I worked with an NBA guy um, named Xavier Moon, and he's at the NBA level. He played for, he plays for the Clippers now, and he played for the Clippers G League team as well. 
So I got a chance to work with him. He's one of my good friends, man. Um, and he knows what it is, what it looks like at the NBA level. So when I feel like when coaches are recommending players to colleges or maybe G League guys or those type of guys, they need to kind of know the level that the kid is at and they need to know what is expected at that level. So with me knowing like at the D2 level, knowing what the game is, like I've had guys on our team and I've telling them like, you're not a division two player. Like, and I would tell coaches that like, I don't think that they're a D2 player. I think that they're, they're this type of player. Now, do I think they can grow into that player? Only time would tell. Like I had a, I had a guy who talent wise, he was D2. But work ethic-wise, he wasn't. Like, he wasn't a college basketball player at all, work ethic-wise. Basketball IQ-wise, he, he wasn't that type of guy. But if you just look at him in like an open court setting where he's playing like pickup, he could go score one-on-one, -on -one, and he could hit like a lot of contested threes, but playing in the system, he didn't understand how to play in the system. So it was kind of like knowing that, okay, you're not at that level. Can you be? If you put in the work, yeah. But like as of right now, no, because I, I played at this level and I can tell you like you wouldn't survive at this level. So I would think like that kinda explains the tweet kind of. Yeah, oh absolutely. Um well this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um last question is for anybody that wants to get into coaching, you know, they want to get started. What's the first thing that you would recommend for them to do? Like, what's that first action that they can take in order to get started on their their uh, their journey of becoming a coach? Coach younger kids. Like, if you want to get started, I would say like the younger the younger the kids that you coach, the more it's gonna ask of you because you got to kind of build the younger kids from the ground up, and it and it's like. I would say like you're setting the foundation, like coaching coaching like a rec team to give you some good experience without a lot of penalty because you're able to kind of explore, you're able to learn the kids and it's like a lot of fun. Like it's not like very demanding with you being a rec league coach. Um I would say that I would say that for like if you're a kid in high school and you want to coach, I would say go ahead and start like trying to coach a rec league team. Like start off early. That way you can move, you can just move up with the ladder. Like start off rec, then you could maybe coach like AAU, middle school, and then middle school to high school, and then like high school to maybe like JUCO, and JUCO to maybe like D2, D3, and just build up from there. Um, and study the game like be, make sure you're you're really a student of the game like uh, it, you'll be surprised how many people don't actually study basketball like they just maybe look at highlights like i had a a couple of guys who they just only looked at highlights and then they wanted to try to like coach kids and i'm like it's a lot more than just what you see, like you got to kind of teach kids how to move. You got to kind of teach kids how to be good people. You got to kind of teach kids how to be teammates. Like it's a lot more than just watching basketball and just picking out stuff that you see. You got to, it's, it's like a lot of foundational work that goes into being a coach, like making sure that First, doing a self-evaluation of yourself. Like, are you a guy that's gonna be accountable? Like, can you be accountable as a coach? Are you a guy that, that displays high character? Are you a guy who's gonna get to the gym early? Like, make sure you're what you're coaching. Like, if you wanna tell the kid to be at the school at this time, like, make sure you're there. Make sure you're that guy. And I would say the last thing with getting into coaching is like at high school level, you have to um, take like a coaching course. So we had to, like I had to take a course. Um, it was like a class that we had to take to be like certified and everything. So 
we had to make sure we took that course. So like, reach out to me, what I did, like my coach, he came and reached out to me, but I know guys don't have like guys that will reach out to them. So I would say, reach out to coaches, like find you a mentor, find you a mentor coach and use like a mentor coach who has connection with other coaches who could kind of help you get connected on with other coaches. Like I had a guy, I got a guy now who I work with. Um, he just do skill development and like, he's actually about to get on with coaching with us at the high school because I know him and like, I know he's a real good skill development type of guy. And I told him, like, I was like, dude, you can come on with us and just do skill development and I'll talk to the head coach for you and just just tell him what you can do, what you're available to do, and just like pretty much making those connections. Like I feel like it's all about who you know and what you know a lot of times, like when you want to move up with coaching. Like if you can get to someone who is connected with other people, you can pretty much show them what you know just based off of your connections. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, so for anybody that's listening to this, for all those who are listening, you know, you guys heard it from the man himself, Coach Brooks, talking about getting involved. All right, you guys got to get involved with some younger kids, maybe some less experienced, less talented kids, but you got to put the ego aside and just work your way up. It's you got to start somewhere, and then once you start somewhere, then you can start to show and prove yourself that you know what you're doing, you know what you're talking about, and from there, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You get, you never know who's in the gym, right? Someone could be watching and they like what you're doing and they may want to hire you. So thank you for uh, sharing all that knowledge and all that wisdom with us. For all those that are listening, I know that they'll be able to, to learn a lot from this episode and, and be inspired by your story. So once again, just want to thank, thank you for your time. And uh, thank you for sharing your journey of becoming a coach and as well as some of your philosophies and, uh, you know, knowledge that you've built through a lifetime of basketball. So thank you. And uh, hopefully we can, you know, do this again sometime. Yes, sir.